Lamey and I missed uh, last week, and I appreciate Jerry Joplin filling in for me and continuing that theme that we had uh, in his own special way when he uh, preached last week for me. Um, I heard that he did a wonderful job, and of course that fourth G we're talking about, the, the four Gs of our church that we want people to be a part of, um, we expect our church members to gather for worship whenever they can, to grow spiritually through small groups, uh, to give of themselves, a uh, whole life stewardship, and finally to go, to go with the gospel. And Amy and I missed last week because we uh, took a very long overdue vacation. Uh, well, it wasn't a long vacation, but it was an overdue vacation. And um, we went to uh, Las Vegas, and uh, what's a preacher doing in Las Vegas? Well, not a whole lot, you know, there's not a lot for preachers to do there, but uh, we, had a, we had a blast. We, one of our favorite things we did, we went to the, the Mob Museum, where they have, they have a museum about the mafia, and uh, how it that began Las Vegas and all of that, and this one part of the uh, Mob Museum, you can go through, it's a... It's a uh, uh, what they call it, the, the scenario, the use of force scenario, use of force scenario. And so they give you a police belt, they give you an actual nine millimeter pistol, but they have a, they have a uh, CO2 cartridge in there, not bullets. And then they take you through three different scenarios. The last one is a live scenario. Well, the very first one is a, just a video. So there's a large video screen and our guide is behind us. And so the door is supposed to burst open and there's hostages inside and you've got to decide who to take your gun out and who to shoot and all of that. And so it's, it's sort of like a video game, but it's sort of real as well. And, and the, the door bursts open to this house and in all of my excitement, I yelled, come in. <laughs> so I think, I think that we're going to leave the police uh, to do their job, which is a lot better than me trying to do their job. Although I would say that um, that might be a good strategy to confuse the criminals and they don't know what's going on, then you can take them down. So anyway, we had a lot of fun and all of that, but it's good to be back home. It's good to be back in West Texas. And uh, I do appreciate Jerry filling in for me and, and talking to you about your, your oikos, your sphere of influence. And we're going to continue that theme in this new uh, series about taking the gospel to people. You know, years ago, I was pastoring a church in Ohio, and I received a uh, phone call from a very precious lady, lover to death. Her name is Betty Jean, and uh, just a wonderful lady, very kind, very dignified, loves the Lord. And uh, Betty Jean wanted to come and talk to me in my office, and so we, we set a time. And, and now, now pastors are always curious when someone says, Pastor, I need to come talk to you. You know, you, you, you start getting a little bit of paranoia creeping into your mind, and you don't know what, what they want to talk about. But if someone wants to make an appointment, you know it must be important, at least to them. And so and my mind started racing, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, what, what does she need to speak to me about? You know, is someone sick? Did someone die? You know, is there, you know, are, are there marriage problems? And, and I'm thinking, not with Betty Jane. You know, Betty Jane, her precious husband. Couldn't be marriage problems. But then again, you think, you know, you, know, you were a pastor long enough. Nothing surprises you anymore. And so that's going through my mind. And, and then, the, then the paranoia really kicks in. Yeah. Did I say something inappropriate in the sermon? I mean, Scripture says that if any man is perfect with his speech, he's a, just a perfect man. And, 
And no one can be perfect all the time. And certainly, I, I can be a little rough around the edges with the way I speak sometimes. And, and maybe I said something wrong or inappropriate or even unbiblical. You know, or is there a problem in the church that I don't know about? You know, something i got to tackle. And so all these thoughts go racing through my mind. And if you're not careful, you get, you get worried and anxious about things that aren't even true. And uh, maybe you're sort of like that as well. You know, although I would say if you have that little bit of paranoia streak in you, uh, it's not, you're not being paranoid if they really are out to get you. So you got to watch it. Um, but but nevertheless, nevertheless, the appointment time finally arrived. And she came into my office and she sat down opposite of my desk. And I said, how can I help you, Betty Jean? And she proceeded to tell me that she and her husband had recently gone to a funeral. And the person who passed away was a man that I'll, I'll call James, a relative of Betty Jean's through marriage. And I expressed my sympathies, and I, and I asked if she was doing okay. And, of course, I, I'd never met this man James that had passed away, but it seemed, since I knew Betty Jean, that something was troubling her more than just, uh, and I don't mean to minimize this, but just a, a relative passing away. That, that can be a hardship, absolutely. And that is a hardship, but... She seemed to be troubled beyond that. And uh, she continued and she told me, well, Pastor David, here's what, here's what bothers me. She said, you know when a Christian passes away, you have a, a feeling, a sense in your heart. You just know you're going to see that person again. I said, yeah. And I said, you, you don't have that feeling when it comes to James, do you? You don't think he knew the Lord. And she said, well, that's, that's just it. That's, the, that's part of what bothers me. She said, I just don't know. I don't know for sure. She said, I, I'd known James for, for decades. And my husband and I, we weren't just related to him, but we were friends with him. Him and his wife would go out to dinner sometimes. And, and we'd see them, of course, at family gatherings. And, and she said, I, I just don't know where he stood with the Lord. And I don't know where he is now. I don't know if he went to heaven or went to hell. And she said, I know the only way for a person to go to heaven is to receive Jesus into their lives, but I don't know if he ever did that. And she said, I guess in my mind I'm really troubled by this. I never talked to him about the Lord. I'd known him for years. And I always sort of intended to and never really came up just never got around to it and I and I guess in my mind she said I I just assumed that someone would talk to him about Jesus or maybe that he would just be curious enough he'd he'd open up a bible and read about Jesus on his own maybe he'd find a Gideon's bible in a hotel or something like that I hear about people getting saved that way but I, I never shared my faith with him and she said, now I feel very guilty. She said, I feel like I didn't take sharing my faith with him seriously enough. What if part of the reason that he's in hell is because I didn't tell him about Jesus? She said, if I really loved him as a friend, then why didn't I at least try? To help him get to heaven. Well, I could tell that Betty Jean was really struggling with guilt. 
And I did not want to pile on to her guilt, especially since there's nothing that she could do about it at this point. So I told her that, well, you know, I'm sure you weren't the only Christian witness in his life. Perhaps at some point he became a Christian and he never talked to you about it. And I was sort of beating around the bushes, trying to avoid the elephant in the room. But as much as I tried to deflect responsibility from Betty Jean over James's eternal destiny, and I tried to shield her from the guilt that she could no longer do anything about, she and I both knew the hard reality, the truth. She was right. It is the responsibility of every Christian to try to introduce people that they know to Christ. And the consequences of your efforts or your lack of effort is eternal. But as sobering as that truth is, there is another truth that was even more sobering to me. You see, Betty Jean, she felt like she failed her loved one. But I felt like I failed her. Because I was her pastor. You see, I believe that Jesus gave his church one overarching command to make disciples. And scripture says that it's my job as a pastor to equip you in this task. Scripture says that it's my job as a pastor to do the work of an evangelist. And the work of an evangelist is not just to preach the gospel. A New Testament evangelist also edifies God's people by teaching them how to teach and preach the gospel. The Bible says it is my word to entrust God's word to faithful men who will teach others also. And the thing that's really sobering to me, and the reason that I feel like such a responsibility in this, is because when Scripture says, as a pastor... Someday, I will stand personally before Jesus Christ, one-on-one, eye-to-eye, and I will have to give an account for every one of you. And this, to me, means that if nothing else, he will likely ask me, If I trained you to make disciples of the people in your life. I highly doubt that Jesus on that day when I stand before the great Bama seat of Christ. I highly doubt that he will ask me. Did you attend all the committee meetings? How did the business meetings go? Did you follow Robert's rules of order? I doubt these will be the things that Jesus asks me. I think I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, it's within Jesus' purview to ask any of those things. 
But I think that Jesus will ask me, how did you do with the one task that I left my church? To make disciples. And that's what bothered me. I had a precious lady who loved the Lord, who loved her friend, who now, as far as we know, may be in a devil's hell. And I feel like I did not do enough to train her how to share her faith with the person that she loves. So I decided a long time ago, for the sake of Betty Jean and other church members who love the Lord, like you, to do what I can to help you introduce your loved ones to Christ. I know I'm not the best pastor in the world. Far from it. But I'm going to do my best in this to teach you how to lead other people to Christ because I don't want any of your children or your grandchildren, your friends, your co-workers to miss out on what you've got. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to a passage that I hope you know well, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, we'll focus on verses 18 through 20, and this is a new series that we're beginning. It's simply called Making Disciples, Helping People Follow Jesus. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And we're going to look at these verses maybe a little bit more carefully than you have in the past. Jesus came up to his disciples And he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going to make one exegetical comment at this point, and that means we're going to get a little bit technical about something that you may not have considered before, or maybe you have. In this Great Commission, there are four, it looks like there's four verbs. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Four things we're supposed to do. The reality that you probably can't tell from your English translation is this. There's one imperative verb. The other three are participles that support the imperative verb. So there's one imperative. You remember what an imperative is. An imperative is your mom saying, clean your room. That's an imperative. There's not a lot of choice in that. Do it. Right? That's an imperative. It is imperative that you do it. The one imperative verb in the Great Commission is make disciples. That's it. Make disciples. The going, the baptizing, and the teaching all describe what make disciples means. They all support what it means to make disciples. And so it's really about making disciples. Now, I'm going to give you four basic principles because we could explore this at length. 
But I want to give you four very basic principles that I hope will be edifying to you. Number one, Jesus designed you to help people follow him. Because right from the outset, I know, I've been there. I've been in your position. When my pastor, when I was a young person, my pastor would talk about how it's my job to be to share the gospel. I'm like, who? You're not talking about me. I'm shy. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not like that. I'm, I have a hard time carrying conversation at all, much less talking to people about some invisible God that they can't see. You know, it's much easier for me to talk to them about tennis or football or school or whatever else. But to talk about Jesus, I don't know if I can do that. Okay, so I know what, you're, what you may be thinking, that I'm just not designed that way, but I want, you, I want you to know you're wrong. You are designed that way. Jesus designed you to help the people in your world follow him. You can make disciples for Jesus. You see, Jesus did not limit the Great Commission to church leaders. He, he was not simply speaking to uh, some people in the church. He wasn't just saying to the pastors, all right, you pastors, you guys make disciples. No, he, this is for all of us. He commanded his entire church to make disciples. This is for you. So don't say, I can't. Because if God says you can, if Jesus told you to do it, then it automatically means that you have the ability to do it. Okay? Jesus is not going to tell you to do something that you cannot do. Jesus will not tell you to jump over the moon. You can't do it. Okay? You, that is beyond your capability. But you can make disciples. Jesus told you to, therefore, by default, you are able to do it. And this is your overarching purpose in life. It is to be a disciple maker. Jesus wants you to live for this purpose. Let me ask you a question. Why else would Jesus leave you on earth once you're saved? I mean, the moment you get saved, why didn't he just take you to heaven? Because you, could, you can do all of the other things that Scripture tells us to do. You can do all of those better in heaven than you can do here. You can worship God a lot better in heaven than you can here, can't you? I mean, here we live in the sin and the, the muck of this world, and it interrupts our perfect worship of God. But in heaven, there's no sin. There's nothing interrupting our worship of God. If we were just to live for worship, if the reason Jesus left us here on this earth was simply to worship Him... He could, he could have already just taken us to heaven, and we could do that much better there. Or, couldn't we learn, God, learn about God much better in heaven than here? Absolutely. And so, why, why didn't Jesus just take us to heaven if we're to know about God better? Because we could do that better in heaven than here. How about serving one another? Can't we, can't we serve one another better in heaven than we could here? Not have to interfere with all this sin and mess that we have to mess with? Or, or what about love one another? Can't we love one another better in heaven than here? Absolutely. You see, there's only one thing that we can do here that we cannot do in heaven. And that's to reach lost people for Christ. Because there are no lost people in heaven. That's why Jesus left you here. To reach lost people for Christ. To make disciples. To make disciples. And I want to tell you something else. There's no one more qualified to help the lost people in your life follow Jesus than you. No one is more qualified than you. Not only can you do it, there's no one that can do it like you. There's a guy by the name of Jim Peterson. He wrote a book called Lifestyle Discipleship. 
And he said what I think many of, many of us feel. He said, many of us feel so inadequate and unprepared that we simply consider ourselves to be unqualified. We say, I have nothing to offer. My own life is in disarray. My marriage is in trouble. I'm worried about my kids. Financially, we're barely making ends meet. I've got to retrain to hold my job. I'm fighting a losing battle against calories. My relationship with Christ isn't exactly transforming my life. What do I have that anyone else would even want? Besides, I'm so busy, I can't think about taking on any more. Sound like you? You know who else it sounds like? The 12 disciples. That sounds just like them. You see, Jesus knows something that we've got to figure out. Disciple makers are electricians and teachers and students and friends and whatever you are. You are a disciple maker. You're a disciple maker. You see, you are more qualified than anyone else to reach the people in your life for Christ because you bring an understanding, you bring a perspective, you bring life experiences that are, that are unique to you, that no one on, else on earth has. And God has given you a sphere of influence. He's given you your family and your friends that need to hear what you have to say. And you do not have to be perfect to help people follow Jesus. People can identify with you and your struggles because they're struggling too. They feel like they're in a fight for their lives. And if you feel like that as well, then they can identify with you. Jesus' plan is not perfect people helping imperfect people follow him. That's not his plan. His plan is imperfect people like you and me helping other imperfect people follow him. Principle number two. To help people follow Jesus, you have to be willing to do that very first word in the Great Commission, to go. You have to be willing to go. That means to reach lost people with the good news of Christ. Let me phrase this another way. This whole concept of disciple-making, it is a process, and it begins with evangelism. According to Jesus, disciple-making begins as we go to the nations. Well, that's the missionary's job, to go to the nations. No, the literal words, the, the Greek word is ta ethne, the ethnic groups. It's Jesus' plan for us to go to the peoples. That's what ta ethne in Greek means, the peoples. And as long as you have peoples... In your life, you're to go to them with the good news of Christ. How do we do that? That's what we're going to cover in this series. <clears throat> we do that by befriending people, by praying for people. And if the Lord gives us the opportunity, by leading them into a loving relationship with Christ. And I'll talk about how these simple actions can transform your perspective in the coming weeks. But today... My goal is simply to open your mind to the possibility, to the reality, actually, that you are a disciple maker. Principle number three. To help people follow Jesus, you have to be willing to put them in a nurturing environment. That's what it means by the word baptize. Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all the peoples and then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
You see, disciple-making is a process that begins with evangelism, and it continues with baptism. Through baptism, every person, by the way, who received Christ is spiritually baptized into Christ. That means they are immersed into the body of Christ. They are part of the family, spiritually. And when someone is water baptized, that person is now part of a local representation of the body of Christ. They're part of a local church. And a church is supposed to be an environment, supposed to be a people that nurtures spiritual growth. Sometimes churches don't do a real good job of spiritual, spiritual parenting. And in a few weeks, I'll show us how we can improve on that. But I want you to get the concept right now that as we make disciples, we're signing up for this. To be willing to evangelize as we're trained to do. And to be willing to take those people that respond and bring them into a nurturing environment where they are baptized as a point of obedience in following Christ. In fact, I would say disciple-making has not been fulfilled until the discipled person becomes a disciple-maker themselves. Disciple-making is the process of leading a lost person to come to understand who Christ is and enter into a relationship with Him and then growing that person to become a disciple-maker themselves. I know that sometimes people will say, well, you know, it's just, it's not my responsibility. Preacher, I pass. Not my thing. If we want to get real spiritual, oh, that's not my gift. Sorry. That won't fly when you stand before Jesus. Matthew 28 is not about spiritual gifts. Matthew 28 is something for all of us. You might think it's not your responsibility, but I want you to understand that God's plan has always been to have a kingdom inhabited by people who believe in Him. And the only way sinful unbelievers can inhabit God's kingdom is to receive Jesus. I'm going to give you three axioms, three truths, real quick. Number one, people cannot respond to Jesus if they've never been introduced to Him. I mean, you can't have a conversation with someone unless you meet them, right? And so people, unless they actually meet the person, they can't actually engage in a relationship. And so meeting people requires some type of introduction. Number two, people will not be introduced to Jesus unless we do the introducing. It's not going to happen by accident. Not usually. It's going to have to be intentional on our part. Number three, God has placed the inhabiting of His kingdom in our hands. I want you to think about that. It's been God's plan from the very beginning to have a kingdom of believers who love Him. And now, Jesus, before He left for heaven, He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, but guess what? The inhabiting of my kingdom, it's in your hands. It's up to you to bring people to faith in me. 
So let me personalize this for you. If you want to see your loved ones and your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors, your fellow students, if you want to see your children, if you want to see your grandchildren escape hell, which was not designed for them, but was designed for the devil and his angels, then, if you want them to, instead of going to hell, to inhabit God's perfect eternal kingdom where there's no more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more sickness, none of this mess of this world, then you have a role to play. And if you know someone who needs the Lord, I'm going to show you in the coming weeks how you can lead that person to faith in Christ. You can't decide for them. But I'm going to show you how you can pray for them, how you can serve them and love them. I'm going to show you how you can share the gospel with them. I'm going to show you how you can become a spiritual parent to them if they do receive Christ. 